0: One! But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here, the Sweet. Two, the podcast of Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, December 17th, 2020, people. I hope everybody is having a great week. Uh, and I, I I know I've said it's like eight episodes in a row. I cannot believe that we are a week out from Christmas. So obviously, uh it has been a crazy year. It has been a crazy uh world that we've lived in over the past seven eight nine months but I do hope of course everybody is getting ready for a fun holiday season hope you're getting some downtime and the ability to spend spend time with friends and family because I know it has been a crazy 2020 from the sports perspective by the way it remains crazy Uh, this is normally a time of year where things slow down but with the calendar pushback things are ramping up so let's get into today's show so much to talk about we will open with the college football playoff rankings which popped on late Tuesday night Uh, they are preposterous I don't want to talk about it, but it is crazy, and so I have to discuss it at least a little bit. We will then kind of preview the conference championship games in college football, a lot of big ones, ACC, SEC, et cetera, and of course, the playoff implications for all of them. We will then take a quick break, preview what is actually a very busy weekend in college hoops, Gonzaga playing Iowa, Kentucky playing North Carolina and a game that was just rescheduled on Wednesday, so a lot of good stuff to talk about. Let's get into it. Before we do want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Uh, Make sure you're following on social media, at aaron underscore torres on twitter at aaron torres pod on instagram and as i mentioned a few times uh, we are getting closer to the holiday season if you need a last minute gift a couple options for you First of all, Cameo.com. Cameo is where I give out personalized greetings, so all you have to do is search for me, Aaron underscore Torres, and if you know somebody that listens to this show, if you want to get yourself something nice, uh, Cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres, uh, and I will give you a personalized greeting, uh, whatever you want it to be, as long as it's appropriate, and of course if it's for a friend or family member, as I've said many times, there's a lot of Fathers and sons, brothers, uh, friends that listen to this show. So if you want to get it for your buddy, for a friend, uh, cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres. And then finally, uh, as I mentioned a few times, working with a very cool watch company called La Terrain this holiday season. Uh, if you're interested in getting your somebody that you love a nice new watch, pretty watch, uh, go to my Twitter page, at Aaron underscore Torres. The link is uh, attached to the top of my Twitter page. And if you click the link, see something you like, uh, guess what? You get to save 10% if you use the promo code Aaron. Uh, If you DM me, I could probably even get you a better deal. Just hit up your boy. We'll find you something good. So yeah, lots of good Christmas. All right, people, let's get into it. Uh, There is no more time to waste, and it is a busy week and weekend going into the college football weekend, and it's kind of crazy because as Nick Coffey and I talked about last week, This is normally a time where those of us who love college sports, who love sports in general, frankly, you kind of decompress a little bit, right? All fall, you've been going full speed ahead. Normally, the conference championship games in football are the first weekend in December. You don't really get the good bowl games until after Christmas. So you get two or three weeks to kind of chill and kick it and put your feet up and have a few cold drinks and relax. That is not happening right now. And because of it, let's get into conference championship weekend, but before we do, let's get into the latest playoff poll, because a funny thing kind of happened over the last couple days, right? So if you listen to this show, you know I tend to be like an opinionated guy, like I say a lot of stuff, and sometimes I'm wrong, I admitted it on Wednesday's episode with the Auburn football stuff, but sometimes I'm right, and sometimes when I am right, I get criticized, typical whatever, happens, no big deal. But there's been so many times in my life where I say something, and, oh, Torres, he's overreacting, he's being dramatic, Blah, whatever. And then two weeks later it becomes a common narrative and everybody is basically saying what I was saying two weeks before. There is a reason they call me Nostra Torres after all. Well, that happened again on Tuesday night when the latest college football playoff rankings came out. And if you kind of just are focused on who's going to make the playoff, who's in good position, well, nothing really changes at to the top. Alabama's number one. Notre Dame's number two, Clemson's number three, Ohio State's number four, Texas A&M is number five. And assuming nothing crazy happens, there's no reason to think that that, that those aren't the teams that are the real playoff contenders. And yeah, if Ohio State loses or if Notre Dame gets blown out, maybe um, Texas A&M sneaks in. Uh, if Clemson loses, maybe Texas A&M sneaks in. If Texas A&M loses, maybe we get a little bit of chaos if one of those other teams lose. But for the most part, the top five was how we were expecting. What happened at number six and number seven, though, was interesting. Because remember those Florida Gators? Remember Saturday when they lost as a 24-point favorite at home to a bad LSU team? Yeah, how far do you think those Florida Gators fell down in the, in the polls, in the rankings? They fell down a grand total of, what would you guess? Six spots, seven spots, ten spots. What'd they fall to, 11, 12, 9, What were they fall to? They fell from six last week, a grand total of one spot to number seven with only Iowa State moving ahead of them. And then on the flip side, you have Cincinnati who did not play, who has not lost a game, dropping another spot from eight to nine because they did not play a game. And so this was the narrative that I was yelling and screaming about last week that has come to fruition, that has everybody so fired up this week. It is that the little guy is getting squeezed out of the college football playoff conversation and that the committee is literally making up rules as they go to keep teams out of the college football playoff conversation that aren't the traditional blue blood power programs. And so let's look at these two kind of unique cases, right? Because part of it is about Florida, but part of it is about Cincinnati, but a lot of it is about what I talked about last week. The funny thing about it all, too, is that I'm not even, like, the college football little guy supporter, right? Like, like I know if Coastal Carolina played Alabama by, by, you know, on a neutral field and Alabama was fired up to play, Coastal would lose by 20, 21, 24, 31. I get it. I'm not the guy that's always pushing for the little guy. That's not who I am. As a matter of fact, I hear this narrative all the time, oh, we want chaos. I want chaos. You know who doesn't want chaos? I don't want chaos. I want Ohio State to win. I want Clemson to win. I want Notre Dame to play Clemson close. I want Bama to win. And I want Bama versus Notre Dame and Clemson versus Ohio State. And if that doesn't work out, give me Bama, Ohio State, and Clemson, whoever. Clemson, like I want the good teams to play each other. But when I look at what happened on on Tuesday, it just becomes so abundantly clear that these little guys have no chance at all. And so let's start with Cincinnati, because if you want to use the argument that they haven't played, we can't move them up. Okay, I can hear that argument. I can also hear dropping them if somebody has a great win. Right. Let's let's just say hypothetically, Georgia and Florida are both behind Cincinnati and they're both seven and one. And Florida beats Georgia. Well, you got to move Florida ahead of Cincinnati, right? Like, 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 I'm not here to argue that great wins shouldn't matter. My concern is a couple things with Cincinnati. First of all, if you're saying that we're punishing them because they have not played, well, how do you explain Ohio State? Because Ohio State, not sure if you've been paying attention. Michigan game canceled last week, week before they play Michigan State, week before that their game against Illinois was canceled. They've played two games in the last five weeks. So if we're punishing Cincinnati for, and dropping them down a spot because they haven't played, why are we not doing the same for Ohio State? Or better yet, if we're giving Ohio State the benefit of the doubt and saying, if you can't play and it's not your fault, we're not going to punish you, why are we not doing the same thing with Cincinnati? And to take it a step further, how about this? If the argument is that games on the field have to matter, that is what the committee is saying in Cincinnati. Well, you're not going to play. The games have to matter. You got to be on the field representing, doing what you're supposed to do. Well, why are we keeping teams that lost ahead of them? If the argument is that games on the field matter, that results matter, how do you keep a team that just lost by 24 points ahead of Cincinnati? It makes no sense. Well, except in one case. It makes sense if the system is clearly rigged to make sure that the little guy never has a shot. And it is so obvious that this is what has happened here. Again, I'm not Mr. Little Guy, but it's so obvious that the committee is setting up a situation where they don't want to drop Florida too far, because if they drop them too far, they can't move them back up on the off chance that they happen to beat Alabama this weekend. Now, I don't think it's going to happen, but if if they were to upset Alabama... Then you got to move Florida from wherever they should be, which is probably 13, 14, 12, 11, somewhere in there, all the way back into the number four conversation. How far do you drop Bama if they lose to Florida? That's the other aspect of it too. If you drop Florida to number 11 or number 12 and then Bama loses to them, all of a sudden it doesn't look that good. Now, if Florida wins, you can move them right back up. And if Bama wins, you can say, well, I mean, Bama just beat another top 10 team. I mean, how how can you root against Bama? And so, like, it's so obvious what's happening. It was the same with Iowa State two weeks ago. They moved Iowa State up so that if they win the Big 12 championship and something, God forbid, happens, like Ohio State and Texas A&M both lose, well, Iowa State's the Big 12 champ. We moved them up two weeks ago. How could we have known all this was gonna happen? But they did it so they don't have to let in Cincinnati. And so... I'm at the point now with this college football playoff, it's funny, you guys listen to this show, you know how I operate, you know how I think, I have never once been expand the playoff guy, that's never who I've been, I believe that in most years, most years, we have trouble finding four teams good enough for the playoff, let alone eight, which is what everybody wants, think about last year, if you remember, Joe Burrow, LSU win the national championship, Clemson and Ohio State play a thriller in the national semifinals. And LSU played Oklahoma, who they destroyed in the playoff in the semifinal. Other teams had a shot to get in. Oregon loses late. Utah loses late. Uh, U- yeah, I said I just said Utah. Baylor lost to o- Oklahoma. All these teams that had a shot couldn't get in. And then the one that did got destroyed by the best team. So I'm not Mr. Expand the Playoff guy, and I'm not Mr. Give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But if there was one year to legitimately give a shot to one of these teams, this was the year Ohio State's only going to play six games. USC, the Pac-12 champ, if they win the Pac-12, is only going to play six games. If Oregon wins the Pac-12, they're only going to play six games. Um, you know, we could have uh, Texas A&M only playing it, you know, like, like, I'm not saying Cincinnati is better than these teams, but what I'm saying is if there was ever a year to give one of these teams a shot, it was this year. It wasn't moving crappy Iowa State, and sorry, Iowa State fans, your team isn't that good. They lost to Louisiana by double digits at home to open the season, and Louisiana is actually really good, so maybe I should be giving you a little bit more credit, but the point is you have lost twice. You can't tell me that team deserves a shot at the playoff ahead of Cincinnati. I don't buy it. You can 't tell me if Oklahoma beats Iowa State, we should jump Oklahoma up a million spots. I don't buy it. You can't tell me that if Florida somehow beats Alabama that after a twenty four point loss they deserve to play for the national championship they don't I'm sorry, same with Georgia. two best wins on their two best games on their schedule they got destroyed by Alabama and Florida best win they have against Auburn they just fired their coach and so if I 'm Cincinnati if I'm Luke fickle, I'm apoplectic right now I'm furious. Because we're being held to an impossible standard, and the goalposts are always moving. It's one thing if you say you can't even be in the top 10 even in consideration if you don't go undefeated. Then these schools can live with it. It's one thing if you say you got to blow out everybody to even be in consideration. But when we're just making stuff up, when one week you're, you're good, the next week you haven't played and you're bad, it's just like, what are we even doing here? As I said last week, if we're just going to make up the rules to make sure and screw the little guy, just stop ranking the little guy. Stop telling me Cincinnati's seven one week and then nine two weeks later when they haven't played. Just take them out of the rankings. Take Coastal Carolina, who, oh, by the way, their win against BYU is better than anything Georgia did. Sorry, Georgia fans, it's true. Better than anything Georgia's done. Just take Coastal Carolina out of the rankings. Just say there's nothing you can do, just say it doesn't matter. Just say we don't care. You're not one of the big boys. You don't play in one of these big conferences. And, like, the, the crazy frustrating part is, like, if you watch Cincinnati and you watch some of these teams, I'm sorry. Cincinnati can play with Iowa State. They can play with Oklahoma. They can play with Florida. They can play with Georgia. I don't think they could beat Bama, but I don't think anybody can beat Bama. Might not be able to beat Clemson, but nobody's beaten Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. Might not be able to beat Notre Dame, beating. The point, and and the funny thing is I'm not even saying put them in the playoff. All I'm saying is it's very clear they should be at number six behind Texas A&M and at least have a shot this weekend going into their conference championship game. So it is the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's the most obvious thing I've ever seen. And I would just be so frustrated if I'm a Cincinnati fan, not because they definitively deserve a shot, but because we shouldn't be making up reasons not to give them one. And so I wanted to get that out there. I wanted to get that rant going because I am so fired up about the fact that Cincinnati is just getting railroaded with all this stuff. So I'm done yelling and screaming. I'm done complaining. But it's like, what are we even doing here? Like I said, if you just don't want Cincinnati in the playoff, just don't even give them a pathway. Don't put them in the rankings. But don't put them in the rankings and then arbitrarily decide one week they're good, the next week they're bad, this week they didn't play. Hold everybody to the same standard. If playing games matters, then Ohio State shouldn't be number four. I'm sorry, Texas A&M should be number four. If playing games doesn't matter, then we shouldn't be moving Cincinnati and we certainly shouldn't be moving teams that lost lost period ahead of them. It's just preposterous. It makes me so mad. I hope Cincinnati gets a shot in one of these big bowl games, and if they win on Saturday, they will. They're going to play Georgia. They're going to play Florida. They're going to play Oklahoma. They're going to play somebody. I hope they destroy them. And even when they do, by the way, people are like, oh, Georgia. I mean, they didn't care about that game. How could they be fired up? I hope Cincinnati destroys them, man. Not because I'm anti this team or anti that team. It's just such a BS logic, BS argument to keep them out. It drives me crazy. Uh, Now that I'm done yelling and screaming, I do kind of want to to talk about some of these conference championship games because it's going to be a really fun weekend in college football. Uh, And if things go par for course, we should have a really good playoff between Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. And I think that's what's going to happen, and I'm not predicting any crazy upsets. But let's get into some of these games. And I do want to start with the SEC. I do think Florida Bama is the most interesting because I do think, as I just mentioned a minute ago, that the committee has set it up where Florida beats Alabama – They're going to go ahead and sneak Florida, figure out a way to get them into that Final Four. I think they would anyway. I would think that they would. I don't know that they would. I think it would depend on if Ohio State wins and if if Notre Dame wins. Um, But I think they would get Florida in. But I think it's an interesting conversation. I've heard a lot of conversation about Florida this week. And the argument on behalf of Florida, keeping this game close. And I want to just talk about the games, kind of how I see them going. So let's start with the SEC, and the argument that I hear about Florida keeping this thing close is, well, now they got nothing to lose, right? Last week they were playing LSU, they beat LSU, they have a shot at the playoff. This week they really got no shot, so they're going to play loose. Uh, yeah, I don't buy it. First of all, I just think Alabama is a freaking wagon, man. They are a juggernaut, and it's crazy because, you know, I've talked in the last couple of weeks about Alabama. I think you can make the argument this is Saban's most dominant team Because of the fact that the offense is humming at a historic level and the defense, after a few down years, has come back around. But what I did not mention on last episode, which I probably should have, or really on Monday's episode, I think you can legitimately make a case that Alabama just completed the most dominant regular season, or one of the most dominant, or at the very least, impressive regular seasons that we've ever seen. First of all, ten and zero record against an SEC only schedule. That's incredible. They're the only team in the history of college football, as best as I know, maybe something happened have in 1941 that I don't know about, but in modern history, they're the only team in college football to go 10-0 and 0 in an SEC season. On top of that, they beat everybody by at least 17 points. Excuse me, at least 15 points. The closest game was, ironically, Ole Miss. They beat two teams currently in the top 10, Texas AM and and Georgia, by 17-plus. They put up at least 40 points in their last nine games of the season. The only game that they didn't put up 40 points was the opener against Missouri. And I watched that game, and they basically pulled their starters after two minutes and could have scored 60, or not two minutes, after two quarters, and could have scored 60 if they wanted to, but pulled the starters to get the backup some reps. Um, and oh, by the way, the defense has been humming. They haven't given up more than 17 points in the last seven games since that old miss game. And so when I look at Bama, I know we have this narrative of, oh, this is the best pass offense they've seen all year. and Well, guess what? This is the best pass defense that Florida has seen all year. This Alabama defense is humming. They actually have the best pass defense in the SEC, one of the top ten in the country. Um... And I just think, like, for all the talk about, you know, Bama hasn't seen anything like this. Well, Florida hasn't seen anything like this either. Every year we want to make the SEC East team into a legitimate competitor. Last year LSU blew out Georgia. This year I just don't think it's close. Alabama gets big leads early. They're going to destroy this Florida defense. I think it's over by halftime, and I think uh, Alabama wins convincingly. I think it's kind of crazy the point spread is, quote, unquote, only 18 when you factor in that Alabama's won by at least 17 in every single game. I don't know that the Texas A&M team that they beat is significantly better or worse than Florida, Um, so it's kind of crazy, but I do think Alabama is going to win the SEC championship. ACC championship, ironically, maybe has a little bit more intrigue because the scenario with the ACC is very simple, and I'm not the first person to say it, but it's good to kind of just rehash, get your guys' minds in what could happen as we head towards this playoff, and what could happen is a couple different things. First of all, if Notre Dame wins this, Clemson ain't going to make the playoff. And I mean, think about a scenario where Trevor Lawrence fought so hard for this season and now he's not competing for a national championship. He's not in the playoff. You wonder if he'd even play in a bowl game at that point. So that's kind of crazy. And then I think there's the other extreme, which is if Clemson wins in a blowout, like if Clemson wins 41 to 10, is it possible that Notre Dame gets left out altogether in favor of, say, Texas A&M? Now, I'm not sure that that would necessarily happen, because if that were to happen, that would mean that, one, you'd leave out Notre Dame, who was 10-1, uh, regular season champion of the ACC. Two, you'd be putting in a Texas team that already got smoked by Alabama, and I just don't see that happening. Now, what I would also say I don't see happening is Texas A&M, or uh, Clemson blowing out Notre Dame. And it's kind of crazy because the point spread is 10, 10 and a half, 11, depending on where you're getting it. I think that's a crazy, I think that's a crazy high number for this game. And the reason being, I understand that Trevor Lawrence didn't play in the first game these two times, these two teams played, but guess what? Trevor Lawrence, DJ Uyga Laganlale, Clemson's quarterbacks are not the reason that they lost that game. If you remember, They lost that game because Notre Dame had over 500 yards of total offense because they averaged five yards per carry on the ground and were blowing Clemson off the line of scrimmage on the defensive line. And oh, by the way, Clemson couldn't block anybody up front themselves and averaged one yard per carry with Travis Etienne. And so I will say Clemson is a different team. First of all, Trevor Lawrence is going to be back. The defense has gotten a lot healthier. Their best defensive player, James Stolsky, is back. Um. But I just don't see this being a 10-point game. Like, it's just crazy to me that it's a 10.5-point spread. Um, I think that the things that made Notre Dame successful have not changed. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think they're going to be physical. I think they're as physical as any team in the country. Now, Clemson's better, too, now. Clemson's better, too, since Trevor Lawrence got back. They have blown out two teams. They beat Pitt and Virginia Tech 52-17 to and 45-10. to But I just don't see this scenario where it's a total blowout. Maybe I'm just a total square and I'm just, you know, this is why Vegas always takes my money. But I just don't see the scenario where Clemson blows out Notre Dame. I think it's close. I think it's more likely we get a Notre Dame win than we do a Clemson blowout in terms of Clemson winning big. But again, it'll be fun to see, and I think there's the most interesting playoff scenarios that can come out of this, out of the entire day, will come out of this game. Uh, In terms of the Big Ten Championship game, let's go there next. That one obviously has the biggest playoff. uh, You could argue maybe the single biggest, you know, result could come out of that game. Because if Florida upsets Alabama, Florida still might not get in, right? Alabama might still be in. And no matter what happens in the Notre Dame-Clemson game, there's a possibility that both teams get in, and there's a possibility that one team gets left out. But in the Big Ten, I mean, it's winner take all. And Ohio State has no margin for error here. And so to me, this is the single most fascinating game in this, in this weekend, because Ohio State's got to win. They're playing a team that they're clearly superior to. And I do think this is going to be competitive. I mean, Northwestern is the best defense that Ohio State will have played all year. And that is the thing that I don't think anybody is talking about with this Ohio State conversation. And it's something that I've mentioned on this show quite a bit. But Ohio State... There are some good teams in the Big Ten. Ohio State didn't play any of them. And that is where, to me, the bigger argument about Ohio State is. It's not that they're only going to play six games. It's that the teams they played weren't even good, right? Like, Penn State's terrible this year. Nebraska's terrible this year. The best win they had was against Indiana. That was by seven at home. And they they barely won the game. And so when you look at the best defenses in the Big Ten, Northwestern's number one. But Iowa's two, Wisconsin's three. Ohio State has not faced any of them. This is by far the best defense statistically that Ohio State will have faced all season long. And so because of it, uh, I'm just really intrigued. I do think on the flip side, I don't know that Northwestern is dynamic enough offensively to really do what's needed to do to pull off the upset. But I could see the scenario where this game is, you know, 16 to six at halftime and Ohio State wins 28 to, to 12 or something, you know, or 28 to 14. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the blowout that everybody thinks they will. I do think Ohio State wins. I think they win convincingly enough to get into the playoff. But this is a game that I do think can be closer than a lot of people think because I think Northwestern, especially on the defensive side of the football, is better than people think. Two other games they obviously don't have as much meaning. Uh, we'll start with the Big 12 where Oklahoma and Iowa State play and for people who have forgotten, those two teams did play earlier in the year. Iowa State beat Oklahoma at home 37-30. It was a game that I think was really reflective of, oh, we might have a special season here at Iowa State. And sure enough, they did. Finished the regular season 8-2. and two. They're number six in the polls, which is nonsense, as I just told you. But they are still number six in the polls. Good for them. It's a historic season. But I do like Oklahoma in this game. And I'll say this about Oklahoma, is I was critical of them early, but they are an organization, a program, I don't know I said organization, because that's more of a pro thing, but they are a team that has really evolved and gotten better over the course of this year. I mean, they started one and two with those back-to-back losses to Kansas State and Iowa State, but they've ripped off since then uh, six straight wins. They've put up 50 points in three of those games, 40 points in four of those games, Spencer Rattler, their quarterback's gotten better, and they've gotten back their best running back, Ramondre Stevenson, who was out for the first game. And oh, by the way, Oklahoma's actually playing real defense this year. Now, maybe the Big 12 is just bad, but Oklahoma's one of the top two defenses along with Iowa State in this conference, and I think Oklahoma's actually probably better than people realize. As a matter of fact, I would argue that while I think Cincinnati is grossly being screwed in the number nine spot... Oklahoma is probably the most quote-unquote underrated team now I don't know if I'd put them any higher than they are but I think they're playing about as well as anybody right now and when I look at this game look I, I do think Oklahoma's going to win this isn't a knock on Iowa State it's not to say oh you know Iowa State's overrated typical like you know we prop up the like, like no they're, they're a really good football team but they beat Oklahoma earlier in the year when Oklahoma clearly wasn't the same team And then a few weeks ago, that signature win against Texas that frankly almost got Tom Herman fired was more about Texas mismanaging the clock and a weird fake punt on fourth down. I think Iowa State's a really good team. I think they're one of the top 8, 10, 12 teams in the country. I don't think they're better than Oklahoma. I don't think they're the best team in the Big 12. And I do think Oklahoma wins. Finally, in the Pac-12, this one to me is is weirdly interesting. Uh, USC is playing Oregon. Oregon is replacing Washington, who could not play because of COVID. But USC is just a really interesting team five and oh in three of their wins they were down going into the fourth quarter and so I actually like Oregon to pull the upset I think Oregon is better coached I think they have frankly as much talent and I think USC is just lucky to be where they are but what I would tell you is this and I don't know if it's going to happen but here's a storyline to watch if USC wins this game let me say this if I was Clay Helton you know how I would handle this if USC is to win this game, and I was Clay Helton, I would go to the podium after the game and bang my fist on the table that we deserve a shot at the playoff. Because I, as I said on Monday's episode, Ohio State is 5-0 with one good win. They're, they might get a second one against Northwestern. That would make them 6-0 the Big Ten champ. USC is 5-0 trying to go to 6-0 and be the Pac-12 champ. And if I'm USC... I'm banging the drum saying, how are we ranked number 12 in the country? How are we ranked where we are And Ohio State with the exact same record against not an impressive schedule is ranked number four in the country? I'm not saying we should put USC in. Not only are they not the fourth best team in the country, I don't think they're probably the 14th best team in the country. But, again, we have to hold everyone to the same standards as we do other teams and Ohio State is being held to a standard of if they win, they're in. And if I'm USC, I'm sitting there saying, look, I'm not saying if we're we we win, we're in. But if we win, we should probably be ahead of Texas A&M. If we win, we should probably be ahead of whoever wins the Big 12. If we win, we should probably be ahead of Cincinnati. If we win and Ohio State loses or Clemson loses, we should probably be in at number four. So that to me is the most interesting thing, not what is going to happen on the field Friday night, but what could potentially happen off the field, where I do think USC has a strong, I I don't think they're very good, but I think they have a strong case and argument to be made that they should be in that college football playoff conversation if they win that game. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun time of year. And uh, I love doing this show, and uh, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, next episode that I come to you, we will have our fourteen playoff. I do think it'll end up being Alabama against Notre Dame and Clemson against Ohio State. That would happen, obviously, if Clemson were to win the ACC, Notre Dame would fall from two to four, and then after that, um, after that, we would be talking about um, we would be talking about uh, Ohio State moving up to number three. And that would be very interesting. But that is for Sunday's show. And in the meantime, I'm going to take a quick break. And I'll come back and talk a little bit of college hoops. By the way, one quick thing that I should mention. A lot of you have been asked about guests. Torres used to have all these great guests. Herschel Walker, uh, Eric Musselman, Rick Barnes. Where do all the guests go? I will have more guests after the holiday. A lot of you have asked me. And I get it. I know it's hard to listen to a dude just talk to himself for an hour straight or for 40 minutes straight or whatever. But this is a busy time. Once we get through the new year, we will have some good guests on this show. So be aware of that. If you do like the guests, if you do like the interviews, trust me, more are coming. Speaking of more on its way. More AT, but first I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be back to talk college basketball. All right, everybody. Uh I am back and uh yeah. A lot of college football off the top of the show. Obviously, the last major, major, major weekend of college football until we get to those college football playoff games on January 1st. So with that said, let's transition to some college basketball. And let me tell you this. First of all, incredible week if you love sports. Like, if you love sports, I know this is the week where your husband or wife is going to want to take you shopping, and we got to go to the mall, we got to buy gifts, and we got to do this, and we got to do that. Yeah, cancel those plans go to amazon.com, go to wherever, order whatever you need uh, for your holiday gifts, because this is not the weekend that you want to be out in front of a TV. So I put out this tweet on Wednesday night, incredible slate of games on Saturday. If you're a sports fan, first of all, just noon Eastern time. This is what you need to know. Noon Eastern time, We got the Big Ten Championship game, Ohio State-Northwestern, we already talked about obviously. Uh, Also noon Eastern time, we have the Big 12 Championship game, Oklahoma-Iowa State. Also noon Eastern time, I'm still at noon Eastern time by the way. Iowa-Gonzaga, number three versus number one in college basketball, all at noon Eastern. Uh, 2 o'clock, Kentucky-UNC in basketball, which we will get into in a minute. 4 o'clock, ACC championship game, obviously Clemson-Notre Dame. 8 o'clock, Bama-Florida. And did I mention, by the way, oh, just two random NFL games on Sunday. So that is the landscape. That is what you need to know. Uh, Four major conference championship games. Plus, if you include the AAC, Tulsa and Cincinnati, that's another one. Plus, major college basketball, two NFL games, so a lot going on on Saturday. There's a couple games Sunday, too, which we'll get into in a minute, but I do want to preview a little bit of the college hoop slate because it is really an awesome college hoop slate. And I think first and foremost, uh, definitely don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I think the biggest thing is I just hope we get all these games in because you know we have Gonzaga, Iowa at noon Eastern time, which is probably not only the best game of the weekend, but arguably the best game of the season. And based on everything that's happened so far, I just hope we get this one in. Uh, Obviously, we all know the games that have been canceled so far this season, whether it's Gonzaga-Baylor, Baylor-Arizona State, a very likely Baylor-Villanova game, uh, Baylor-Texas, Virginia-Villanova was supposed to be Saturday, Virginia-Michigan State. So a ton of good games have been wiped off the slate. But let's get into it. And again, I'm a glasses have full guy. No reason to talk about this as if these games will not happen. So let's get into the big games of Saturday. The first one, as I mentioned, number three, Baylor, number one, Gonzaga. And again, I get it. There will be two conference championship games on during this game, the Big Ten and the Big 12. And I understand if you don't have time to watch Iowa-Gonzaga. But if you do, I am just going to tell you. This might end up as the best game of the season in the regular season in college hoops because you're talking about two teams that are amongst the highest scoring teams in college basketball. Iowa is actually the highest-scoring team in college basketball. They average over 100 points per game. They've averaged 105 per game in their last two. Gonzaga, quote-unquote, only ranks 10th in college basketball uh, in scoring. They have scored at least 87 points in all three games that they've played including one against West Virginia, which might be the best defensive team in college basketball. So we are talking about two elite scoring teams in the country, maybe the two best scoring teams in college basketball. In terms of the matchups, listen, I'm not going to break down depth charts and all that stuff. You know, that's not what I do. I think what I'm interested in is from two different things. I think specifically, first of all, with Gonzaga, I think what intrigues me is just how do they look after two weeks off with no games? Obviously, two weeks ago on Saturday, they were supposed to play Baylor. That game was canceled because of a positive COVID test within their locker room. They shut down their program. They have not played since. And I'm just genuinely curious as to what this team looks like after two weeks. They were playing at an insane level. They were playing, I think, at as high of a level as anybody in college basketball when they were forced to shut down their program. And now I'm just curious about what do they look like when they come back? And what do they look like when they come back against one of the best offensive teams in college basketball? on the flip side, I think we're talking about Luca. Uh, we're talking about Iowa, and what I would say is everybody knows the name Luca Garza. I get it; he was an All-American last year. He's the very, very early frontrunner for National Player of the Year. But as I talked about last week, when you look at Iowa, when they played Iowa, or when they played, excuse me, uh, UNC in the Big Ten ACC Challenge a few weeks ago, Luca Garza was their fourth-leading scorer in that game. And it was other guys who stepped up and played well when uh, North Carolina focused on Luca Garza. Luca Garza in that game had a very, to be clear, a very respectable 16 points and 14 rebounds. Just a little ho hum 16 point, 14 rebound game but you looked at everybody else in that game that was able to step up and play well, they proved that they have scoring basically all over the floor. Jordan Bohannon had 24 points, including seven of 16 from behind the arc. Uh, CJ Frederick, uh, 21 points, five of seven from beyond the arc. Joe Wieskamp, five of seven from beyond the arc. And as I said that night after that game, I think you can legitimately argue That Iowa and not Gonzaga, not Baylor, not anybody else, that Iowa is actually the most dynamic team offensively in college basketball. Now, not saying they're the best team, not saying they're going to win the national championship, not saying go bet the house on Iowa to win it all, but what I am saying is when you talk about a team that can get scoring from all five spots on the floor, not to mention guys off the bench. Iowa is a fascinating team guys and I mentioned this after the UNC game but they got guys on the bench this year that were starters last year they got a kid named Joe Toussaint who was forced into the starting lineup as a point guard last year when uh, Jordan Bohannon got hurt Jordan Bohannon comes back healthy now Joe Toussaint is coming off the bench and and he's good enough to start at just about anywhere in college basketball same with Patrick McCaffrey same with a couple other guys so to me it goes without saying that is clearly the premier game of the weekend in college football, uh, college basketball Iowa Gonzaga Get the popcorn ready. I know that the the Big Ten and Big 12 football championship games will be on at the same time, but that is one that I think you should be checking out. Uh, following that game on CBS, this is not a promotion for CBS, but uh, we get the CBS Sports Classic. And for people who are not familiar with the CBS Sports Classic, the CBS Sports Classic is very simply uh, a, a four-team event every single year that features North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, and Ohio State. Four pretty good programs, three of the greatest programs in the history of the sport. And it was kind of crazy. I'm glad I'm recording this late on Wednesday because in the middle of the day on Wednesday, they actually changed the matchups in this event. It was supposed to be uh, Carolina versus Ohio State and then UCLA versus Kentucky, but I guess because of the way the two, the four conferences, I should say, test and, and do all that stuff, they have switched the matchups. Obviously, Ohio State in the Big Ten playing UCLA in the Pac-12, two, two conferences that test every single day that have been very aggressive in the testing. ACC and SEC with UNC and, North, and Kentucky, a little bit less aggressive in testing. Not to say they don't take things seriously. Everybody calm down. But they did switch up the matchups based on testing, and so what we get is two very good matchups regardless. As it pertains to the matchup, we'll obviously start with Kentucky-Carolina first because it is the first game, and frankly, two teams that are very, very, very similar, and it's kind of ironic because Kentucky is going through this disastrous start to the season. They're one and four. They frankly stink. But if you look at North Carolina, North Carolina has the exact same problems that Kentucky does. Now, North Carolina's played a little bit of an easier schedule. I think some of the games they've played have been really challenging, playing Texas, playing Iowa, playing Stanford and Maui. But they've had a couple uh, uh, low major teams to kind of pad the schedule. And so ironically for Kentucky, A lot of people might disagree with me. I actually think it worked out well for Kentucky that they get North Carolina instead of UCLA because when you talk about UCLA, and we'll get to them in a minute, UCLA is a veteran, tough team. Mick Cronin, I mean, it is just the quintessential Mick Cronin team where it's a bunch of guys that he inherited from Steve Alford, but who bought into what Mick Cronin is about. They're tough, they're physical, they're nasty, they rebound, they defend, they actually shoot the ball pretty well. And when you look at North Carolina as opposed to UCLA, North Carolina is plenty talented, but North Carolina has a freshman point guard like Kentucky. They don't shoot the ball well, and they turn the ball over a lot like Kentucky. And so these are two teams that actually match up very well. I went ahead and looked at the stats on Wednesday, and it is actually shocking how similar these two teams are. Kentucky fans are freaking out because they're averaging Close to 17 turnovers game. And frankly, I'd be freaking out too if it was my team. But Kentucky averaging 16.8 turnovers per game. Guess what? UNC's averaging 16.5, okay? So it ain't all gravy with UNC. Uh, UNC is only averaging 12.5 assists per game, Kentucky 12.2. So both of these teams have a negative assist to turnover ratio. Neither of them, them, excuse me, shoots the three ball well with Kentucky shooting just 24.4%. UNC shooting 27%. And I bring all this up to very simply say, I think this game is more winnable for Kentucky than UCLA would have been. I actually spoke to a coach on... Uh, 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 on Wednesday, not a head coach, but an assistant coach who has seen both of these teams on tape. He has seen one of them on, uh, in person, and he said to me, point blank, I don't think they had any chance against UCLA. Maybe they'll have better luck against uh, North Carolina, but what I'm telling you is these are two very similar teams. They struggle to take care of the ball. They stu- struggle to shoot the three, and so what this game comes down to to for me is which team can do the stuff that they haven't been doing better than the other, uh, I don't think either team is going to be phenomenal or incredible or, you know, anybody's going to shoot uh, ten of twenty from three or have twenty-two assists and eight turnovers. Like that's just not going to happen. But what I would say though is, is that the possibility exists that I think either of these teams should be coming in confident, just from the perspective of, you know if we can just play our game, if we don't try to do too much, and if the we let the other team make mistakes, we got a shot at this thing. So that's going to be an interesting one. The late game, the afternoon, evening game in that event is Ohio State UCLA. That is the late game so that Ohio State fans can first watch the Buckeyes play in the Big Ten football championship, then switch over to basketball. But Ohio State does play UCLA. And for people who don't know very much about either team, I kind of just gave the rundown of UCLA. UCLA, just a, a really, just a veteran, tough, experienced team. Um, you know, basically, they returned, I think, eight of their top nine scorers off of last year. They got a kid named Jaime Jaquez, who is a actually only a sophomore who's their leading scorer. Chris Smith, an NBA prospect on the wing. They switch a lot. They do a lot of different things defensively. And they are a really, really, really good team. I know they did lose to San Diego State to open the season. But first of all, people, San Diego State is a really good basketball team. Okay, They are a really good basketball team. And on top of that, UCLA was down two players, including their best rebounder, Jalen Hill, as well as Johnny Juzang, who many of you remember is a Kentucky transfer. So I bring all this up to just very simply say, I think that this is an intriguing matchup. I do give the advantage to UCLA, especially with Ohio State down two starters, uh, or at the very least, two starters are questionable. I'm recording here on Wednesday night. A lot can change between now and Saturday but uh, EJ Liddell and Kyle Young, who are their two best frontcourt players, did not play against Purdue. We will see if they come back. Real quick to Sunday. Let me just say this about Sunday's slate. How about by UConn Huskies? Another team coming back from quarantine. Uh, They have been away for two weeks. They host Creighton on on Sunday, and I don't want to do too much of a breakdown on this one because Creighton actually plays on Friday night against St. John's and so I think by the time we play it's unfair to really analyze this game because by the time that they take the court on on Sunday morning uh, Creighton's already gonna have another game under their belt between when I record and when that game is played to me the intriguing matchup is obviously the UConn backcourt versus the Creighton backcourt Marcus Zagorowski. At Creighton, uh, excuse me, James Booknight at UConn. Maybe the two best guards in all of the Big East going head-to-head. Super fired up for that one. And really quickly, I would just say, also on Sunday, uh, Illinois at Rutgers. And we've talked a lot about Illinois. I think everybody in college basketball, if you follow college basketball at all, you know Illinois is stacked. They are loaded, but they are going on the road. Rutgers is tough at home. Obviously, a little bit of a different deal because Rutgers doesn't have fans in the stands. But that should be an interesting one. Uh, And it should really highlight an awesome weekend in college basketball. So, understandably, I think you guys get why I led the show with college football. It is a big weekend in college football. uh, But, yeah, there's a lot of good college basketball, too, starting with that Gonzaga-Iowa game on Saturday. Going all the way through the day. All right. I think that is it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank all you guys for listening um, and just doing what you do, being a part of this show. I know this is a busy time of year. I know there's less sports uh, maybe on your mind as you're getting ready for the holidays and you're having friends and family over, but want to thank you all for, for supporting the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, the podcast addict app, Podbean, Spotify, tune in radio wherever you listen to podcasts make sure that you're subscribed to the aaron torres sports podcast also make sure to rate and review the show go ahead give us a quick five stars let us know what you like what you don't like all that good stuff make sure you are following on social media at aaron underscore torres on twitter at aaron torres pod on instagram and as mentioned if you want a gift cameo.com slash aaron underscore torres that is all for today's aaron torres sports podcast shout out to torrent craig shout out to rachel who hates my voice i will be back monday and guess what we'll have four teams in the college football playoff see you then people